Hiya, pal. Got an idea. All right, mate, go on. I think we need to evolve the podcast. All right, what you got in mind? Well, why don't we just start recording all the chats we have when we're talking about leadership? Okay, what are we going to call it? Sense makers. Sense makers. Love it. And have we got a backer? Of course we have. Tsunami Sport. Quality. When are we starting? Now, get this end round and I'll put kettle on. Top man, I'll be round in five. Bill Matte is a PE teacher by training and a leader by choice. Having come into teaching later in life, he has taken the opportunity to work across four countries on three continents in a teaching career that has been challenging, rewarding and never dull. Phil is a passionate advocate for holistic education and a follower of the servant leadership approach to management. Phil has strong views on PE and its role in education and the pedagogy of learning in today's educational world. Welcome to the show, Phil, and tell us a bit about that life before teaching. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I, uh, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I had an amazing uh, PE experience at school. It was a fantastic PE teacher. Um, I'm going to name drop her, actually. She'll never listen to this, but, but, but I'm going to name drop her anyway. So I had a PE teacher called Jan Eaton, um, who was just phenomenal. Um, it didn't matter that, that I, was, I was male and she was female. She, just, she was inspirational. And so from a very young age, probably 13, 14, all I really wanted to do was be a PE teacher um, like Jan. And uh, went to uni to, to, um, to study it. Uh, then life got in the way. Um, met, my, met my wife and kids, uh, had kids, um, and uh, decided that perhaps I would, would, would uh, explore other avenues. So I had a 10-year career in, in uh, high-level sales. Um, worked my way up from telephone sales through to selling big computers. Um, I sold e-learning. Um, and eventually ended up selling paper. So I'm one of those bad guys that, uh, that um, impacted on the rainforest, unfortunately, um, for a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I spent, I spent four years selling paper, um, which I never, I've never thought you'd, I'd end up selling something like paper um, to people that, that shouldn't really have been using paper. Um, and uh, then, it's, then it became a very obvious, like normal story, I guess. I was sitting on the train on the way into London um, for about the fourth time that week, looking around me, looking at people buried in, uh, it was just about had mobile phones at that point, um, or books or paperwork. Just thought, this is not what I want to do. Like, this is not how I envisage my life going. Um, I don't want to spend most of my life sitting in meeting rooms or on the train. Um, so I went home, um, said to my wife, don't want to do this anymore. Um, and being the supportive person she is, she, she didn't immediately turn around and say, yeah, but what about the money? And um, she said, okay, well, ex explore it, look into it. So I went away, looked into how possible it would be to initially go back to uni um, and then realized, you know, with kids to support, that wasn't really an option. Um, and then discovered GTPs. Found a, found a local school that was willing to sponsor me through a GTP and never looked back. Um, taught in the UK for eight years um, in a pretty tough all boys comp. Um, gave me a really good grounding of what it actually meant to be a, be a teacher. Um, 
I think if I'd gone into a nice, quiet countryside uh, school, I probably would be a different teacher to the one that I am that I am today. I think that that gave me a really good vision of what the reality of teaching was quite early on. Um, yeah, and I never really thought it would change. I thought I would be at that school for 20 years and make progress up the, up the ladder. And then a school from Kenya um, approached me and said, we want to come on a rugby tour. Um, and we understand that you play rugby. We're going to be in your area. Do you want a, a game? So we sorted out a game and I sorted out logistics for them with buses and things. And at the end of the second, we played them twice. At the end of the second fixture, the guy turned around to me and said, I'm leaving Kenya next year. I'm going somewhere else. Do you fancy taking over from me? Um, and from that conversation, it took three months and I was on a plane to Kenya. Um, and I've never looked back. I've never looked back. It was, it was utterly bonkers. I, had to, I, I remember sitting in Costa Coffee on the high street in the town that I lived in um, on my birthday, having to explain to my three children who were 14, 11 and six, uh, that we were not just, they, they were not just leaving the schools that they went to. We were not just leaving our home, but we were moving what, three and a half, 4,000 miles away to a different continent completely that they'd never even really, no, bless them. They'd probably never even heard of Kenya, let alone like, ever thought about moving there. So that was, that was a really interesting, interesting experience. And actually seeing their response to that um, kind of affirmed that we were doing something, something really special. Yeah, so a couple of months later, standing outside in Nairobi airport, um, expecting to get picked up in the middle of the night. Nobody came to pick us up. Um, just looking around and saying, right, what, what, what is this? What is going on? Then the bus turned up eventually about an hour later to pick us up. Then it got uh, impounded by a policeman because it had parked on double yellow lines. Um, so the school then frantically tried to organise us taxis. Um, and about we got to we got to the school, got to our apartment about six hours later, um, and and yeah, flopped into bed. And the last thing I remember, Emma turning around to me and saying, "We better not have made a mistake here. Like you better not, you better not have made a mistake." Um, but I tell you what, it 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 was the best thing we ever did. It was the best thing we ever did, and we've never looked back. Now, we did two years in in Kenya. Uh, amazing, amazing time. Uh, I miss Kenya every day. I would go back to Kenya in a heartbeat. Uh, then we moved on to Cairo, which is a whole different level of crazy, um, but amazing, amazing place to be a teacher, uh, especially a PE teacher. So, like, sport in Cairo is great. Um, and then was given the opportunity to move to the UAE, which seems like the most civilized place in the world compared to Nairobi <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Cairo. So yeah, that's, that's me. Um, like a lot of people that go into teaching late, I, I wake up every day and think, yeah, this was the right thing to do. Like, it, you know, it's, never, it's never easy. I'd never say that being a teacher is, is, is easier than being a salesperson, but um, it was what I was meant to do, for better or worse. You know, I, I wouldn't say, no, I'm not some uber teacher that, that thinks they're, they're amazing at this, but I, it, was, it was what I was meant to do. Um, and I spoke to Jan actually uh, last month. I, she contacted me completely out of the, out of the blue um, via LinkedIn. And she said, I've been following you for a while um, and I'm, I'm really proud of what you did. And that, that, was, that was really quite, that sort of affirmed everything that through it all, um, I ended up where we expected that I would end up. 
Wow. Love, love hearing the stories of international teachers. They always uh, bring a lump to the throat about their journey and the seminal moments. There's a few exit points there, Phil. I'd, I'd like to, to touch upon the salesman. And we had a podcast recently with, with a diplomat, Richard Oppenheim, who is the deputy ambassador in, in Saudi Arabia. And he talked about everybody's always selling something. No matter what job you're in, you're always selling something. Tell us about those transferable skills from sales then that you could bring across to teaching. It's definitely, definitely the case that the experience that I had uh, in, a, in a sales environment or a, a sales marketing business environment meant that when I transitioned into being a teacher, I had a set of skills that no one else around me had. Um, and you're right, teaching, we, we sell every day. We sell our subjects, we sell the idea of learning, we sell motivation. We, we sell to our clients, which are our pupils. I hate, um, one of my big bugbears is calling our parents our clients. They're not, they're not our clients, our pupils are our clients. Um, and yeah, you know, negotiation, presentation skills, being able to talk, um, being able to keep a conversation on track, being able to drive a situation towards a conclusion that you've predetermined. Um, being able to listen, I think, is a really. I mean, we all we all say that being able to listen as a leader is, is is a really crucial crucial thing and an important skill. And nowhere is that more true than when you're in a sales meeting and you're trying to trying to establish exactly what it is that this client uh, is 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 looking for and how what you've got to offer fits with what they need and how can you position your product uh, in a in a way that is going to uh, link closely enough with their requirements in order for them to to sign on that bit of paper so yeah completely transferable schools i think um i, I think there's a huge value to being a career teacher I, I, I know a lot of people that went into into teaching straight out of uni most of them are much further up the chain than i am because they were doing it for an extra 10 12 years but i tell you what People that I meet that have had other careers before they became teachers have a different set of skills and a different outlook. And I think, especially in places like the UK where they struggle with teacher retention, um, teachers that have done something first, whether it's a two year career or a bit of volunteering or a 10 year sales career, tend to appear to last longer. And I think that's because you can always look back and say, yeah, this was a tough day but it wasn't as tough as that day where I had to drive to Manchester for two meetings and I didn't get home until 12 o'clock at night. And then I had to write up the report ready for my manager the next day. So yeah, I think it was a really valuable thing. It definitely made me the teacher and the leader that I am today. I think a lot of my leadership skills have come from that experience as opposed to my experiences uh, in the last 12 years of teaching. It's an interesting one, Philip. And, and what I can gather from that is that you almost appreciate it more when you've been doing something else. You realise how good teaching is or can be. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's completely. You, you get a you get a different world view when you when you when you're just a teacher and you've you've come out of school, you've gone to uni, you've done your teacher training, done fantastically well, gone into school, whatever school that might be. Um, it's, it, and and you know, absolutely, that there are some amazing teachers that have gone through that route. Um, but you, you haven't got that, that concept of the alternative. 
And I certainly, I, I, know, I can only really speak for myself, but I, I do, whenever I have a difficult day in the office, whenever I have a difficult day with uh, meetings with senior leadership or with my teaching team, uh, you know, I always have that to look back on and go, well, you know, I, this, I chose to do this. This was a, this was a, a grown up adult decision that I made uh, to sacrifice all of those things, you know, more money, um, steady, steady career, building a career. I chose to do this. And so I should always be grateful that I've got the opportunity to do it. There's sort of a suggestion, if I'm, if I'm listening to you right, Phil, from what you're saying, of that teachers maybe sometimes fall into a bit of a hamster wheel of, of going through academia and then qualifying as a teacher and going straight into teaching and not experiencing life outside of what would be a primary school, secondary school, tertiary college, university, back into school and back following a timetable. You know, I, I've joked several times with colleagues that I've, I've every year of my life I've had a school timetable um, having that time out what did that teach you you mentioned listening what, what other things tell me a bit more about the transferable skills that you still find maybe you allude to or you consider when you're in meetings or you're in teaching situations now yeah I mean I, I think it's an incredible thing that people do when they when, when you, you come out of school go to uni and become a teacher and you do that for a career and, and you know, I, like I said, I know some some exceptional teachers who who yeah who have never not had a school a school timetable, um, and actually in in a, in a funny kind of way, I look at those people with a little bit of envy, uh, because you know I I would I'd be interested to know where I would be had I become a teacher at 22, 23. Um, but yeah, those those um, those skills that I gained from working in in IT, working uh, in sales environments. Um, definitely, when I when I retrained to be a teacher, I, I, I used those skills to formulate a plan for how I was going to go about doing this 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 new career. So yeah, it, I, I said listening, um, being able to get your point across in a non-confrontational way, I think is really important, and that's something that we don't necessarily teach teachers. So, um, you know, meet, meetings that drift and drag and go around in circles or become fraught don't happen in sales environments because you always have a passive and a, and a, and a, um, uh, a sort of more proactive person in those meetings. You have somebody that's either trying to sell something and somebody that's listening to that sales pitch, or you have somebody that's trying to say, this is what I need. And then the salesperson takes on the passive role of saying, okay, I can do that for you. And then you negotiate to a point where both sides of the table are getting what they believe is the right outcome for them. And that's not something that I think we do very um, explicitly in teaching. Um, and, and by our very nature, we're very opinionated, aren't we, teachers? Well, we, all have, we all have an opinion on everything. Um, and being able to balance that, that uh, opinion with the understanding that Others have other opinions, and we need to we need to collaborate to find a, an approach to whatever it might be, whether it's a huge project or whether it's a tiny day-to-day -day logistical thing. We need to move forward, and the, the the most important thing is that we move forward with the majority of people on board with what we what what we decide. That that ability to work in a kind of a democratic way, with passive and proactive. In, um, individuals I think is a, is a really important skill um, and yeah just simple things like being able to talk in public 
the amount of times that I've been asked to lead assemblies um, because I can speak in public, the amount of people that turn and said, oh, you know, would you speak to these parents because you're really good at talking to people? Um, that doesn't mean that teachers, that uh, career teachers can't do that, but I definitely learned those skills in a different environment. Now, I presented at sales conferences in front of thousands of people um, and, and I've gone through that, that horrendous set. I know, I remember I, I had a, um, a conference in Dublin. I've never been to Dublin. Um, and so I took the opportunity the night before the conference to enjoy some of Dublin's um, uh, recreational activities. Um, and then the next morning had to present to 1500 people in a, um, in a sales conference about paper, um, which is, <laughs> If you, you're trying to inspire people to listen to you for 45 minutes, talking about paper is not is not the uh, not the way to do it. Um, and I remember those. I remember the nerves. I, mean, I remember being absolutely petrified. Um, but knowing that it didn't matter, it didn't matter that I was petrified. I was still going to have to go and do that. Um, and you know, it may have gone well. It may not have done. And other people would be able to judge that. But remembering those things when I have to stand up and do a whole whole college assembly now or Know, present to parents about ski trips and things Now, remembering those experiences if I'm looking at 100, 100 parents or a thousand pupils you know I've, I've got that to fall back on and I think that's you, you can get those skills from being a teacher don't get me wrong you can absolutely get those experiences but the fact that I had them prior to becoming a teacher I think made that transition just that little bit easier for me. And imagine it's a bit easier to sell a ski trip than it is some uh, some paper. To be quite frank, right? Well, you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't believe trying to persuade people trying to persuade people that your bit of paper is better than the next guy's bit of paper is, you know, that thing about selling selling um, ice to Eskimos. <laughs> Brilliant, Keynes. I've always said that you could send uh, you could do that, couldn't you? You'd have made a great salesman, I think, Keynes. Do you reckon? Maybe I missed a calling. <laughs> Okay. I, think, I, think, I think I'd be finding it quite hard to sell paper, to be honest. That, that's, that's a stretch, isn't it? Well, it is definitely the case that uh, teachers are salespeople, whether you know it or not. And again, perhaps this is something that we, we as, a, um, as a community, um, don't put enough emphasis on, is that we do. We, every time you stand in front of pupils, parents, colleagues, um, your... Um, educational boards, any of those things that you do, especially when you get to leadership type levels, you're selling something, whether you realize it or not, we are, you're selling your school, you're selling your curriculum, you're selling your uh, extracurricular activities, you're selling your trips, you're selling your, um, your way of doing things. And, and that ability to sell something is, is, is ingrained in us, whether we, whether we realize it or not. And it comes back to that that frontline being the clients, as you as you use that term, as the as the students in your school. They're essentially the judge, the judges of, of what they're doing and, and how they're taking that on. Phil, I, I want to just drop back into that. You made um you made a comment about being non-confrontational, about passive versus sort of proactive meetings and, and the different individuals within those. I know you're a big advocate and a self-proclaimed advocate, self-confessed advocate of, of, of servant leadership. How does that model fit in with being non-confrontational in meetings, you know, maybe having some of those difficult conversations and, and trying to sell something as a, as a group, as a unit, or even, you know, as an individual trying to sell that to your team or to a group of parents or students? Where does that non-confrontational sort of approach fit in with servant leadership? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't realize that. Um, uh, I know that, that servant leadership is one of those kind of tag phrases. And we, we, um, we talked a little bit about this previously. Um, and I didn't realize that I was a servant leader. I didn't set out to say, right, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a servant leader. I only realized um, when I got to Kenya um, and the school that I worked in Kenya was around square school. So it, it had a philosophy built on the, on the, um, the core principles of um, servant leadership and Kurt Hahn. Um, I'm, I'm a big uh, follower of the principles of Kurt Hahn. Actually, I've learned, I've, I've done a lot of research into it, um, and, and um, a lot of the a lot of the principles that that, that founded schools like Gordonston, um, uh, I find really resonate with me. Um, but I didn't realise that I'd never really heard the term servant leadership um, until I got there and, and and heard them talking about developing servant leaders of the future. And when you're in a country like Kenya, in you know, you're, you're lucky enough to work with slightly more um, affluent, um, fortunate children in a country like Kenya. You do realize that they, they feel a huge responsibility to become positive leaders for their country and their continent. Um, no, because it's those kind of people that are going to drive Africa into the next, the next generation and um, turn Africa into the powerhouse of the world that it inevitably will become. Um, and the more I listen to them talk to these pupils about servant leadership, the more I realize that lots of the traits that I have um, kind of fit in with that approach to leadership. So I fundamentally believe that my job as a leader is to remove barriers to excellence in other people. I think that's the thing. If you were going to ask me what would be the what would be the, the statement that I would put on the wall in front of my desk that I would think about every day? It would be that my job is to remove the barriers that other people have uh, that stop them being excellent. Um, and, and I try when I'm thinking about how I'm going to lead my team or how I'm going to lead this project, I try to think about that is my job is to be not necessarily front of house, um, but to be in the background making sure that those really outstanding individuals get the opportunity to do the things that I know they're capable of. Um, and again, that if you come back to the sales environment and, and, and the, the, the sort of the sales and marketing career, if you're working in a team of salespeople and you have a team target to hit, which I always did. So I would always have an individual financial target to hit, but then as a, as a team of salespeople within a region, we would have to hit a target in order to satisfy the, the people above us. And you need to make sure that as well as you meeting the goals that you have or you've been set, that all of the people around you are able to meet theirs as well. And so I would, I would regularly find myself working in teams with people that wouldn't necessarily benefit my targets directly, but would ensure that their targets were achievable because the bigger picture is that we all have to be successful. Um, and, and I think that, that, that idea of working towards a common goal, um, not always putting your objectives at the forefront of those, uh, of those activities, but ensuring that the people around you have a, uh, a, a decent chance of being successful leads to a more successful environment as a whole. And, and, and so, you know, and, and that's, that really fits with this idea of, of servant leadership, of working for the benefit of others, even if it's at the detriment to yourself, 
Um, and, 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 and it just, it resonated with me and I saw it working. I saw, saw the way these, these pupils, you know, these, so in, in some cases, tiny children, tiny junior school children were, were being taught about the importance of putting the needs of their community before their, their own needs. And then you would see it in action. So you would see children going back to like really rural villages in Kenya, having got a scholarship to, to work at the, or to come and ed, learn at the school, going back with these, these ideas of, of having to make a difference, wanting to make a difference and trying to inspire the people within their communities back in the, the Maasai Mara or Amboseli or wherever it might be. And you could see, you could see, and there were, there were, um, there are lots of examples of pupils that were coming out of our school and actually going on and taking on roles within society that, that fundamentally used all of that sort of servant leadership approach in the things that they did. Now, whether they're lawyers that advocate for community um, uh, land preservation, um, a huge amount of people go come out of, uh, out of uh, those kind of schools in Kenya and go into wildlife protection now. Um, and at the expense of potentially much more um, uh, financially successful careers, but they have this deep burning sense of need to give back to their communities and to, to, to serve the communities that have got them to where they, where they are. And I think actually that's a really good point. And that's coming back to the idea of coming into teaching late and feeling always feeling grateful for having the opportunity to do it. And I, I think I have a, a little bit of a subconscious burning desire to always give back to the, the profession that gave me the opportunity to really be who I was supposed to be. It's powerful, Phil. And I'd like to just look at it from another lens. Can everybody be a servant leader or is it very much dependent on the values of the person? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, I think, you know, I think we all have it in us, but I think a lot of it is it's, uh, context. So it depends on where you are. It depends on where you come from. We, servant leadership is just a, uh, a phrase. It's just a you know, coin a term. Um, and, and a lot of us, you do these kind of things and are lots of different types of leaders at lots of different times during the course of our, our day or our, our, our week within our roles. So I think pinning pinning yourself to just one mast, um, you know, pinning, pinning your flag on, on one particular thing is kind of disingenuous. And, and actually, I'm not always, uh, I don't always approach everything in a, in a sort of a servant leadership model, because sometimes it, you need to be, you know, you need to have a different uh, approach to it. But we do, by our very nature as human beings, we, we have empathy, we have the ability to, uh, uh, to be inspired by the successes of other people. And, and as PE teachers, we're all PE teachers, we know the sense of achievement we feel when our pupils achieve something in, uh, in our curriculum area, whether that's within a lesson or probably more obviously within some kind of extracurricular sporting environment. Um, now we get a huge sense of achievement when our pupils go and, and perform well at an athletics competition or a, a football tournament. Um, and that, that sense of wanting them to feel that success has no benefit to us, really. Yeah, you might go back and your head teacher might say, congratulations, well done, you won this, this trophy, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased for you. You might be unfortunate enough to work in a school where there's an expectation of that kind of level of success. Um, but you, 
go on, sorry. No, I think it was my square. <laughs> it's my chair. Oh. Squeak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think we all have it in us. I, I think that we all, when the, at, the, at the right time, um, display servant leadership qualities. I think some people have some people uh, potentially um, veer towards it more. Um, I think it lends itself to a, a, a sort of a, a passive um, uh, sort of nature. Um, and I'm, I, I like to think, and, and this is definitely something that's evolved over time um, and something that you, I probably wouldn't have said I am 10, 10 years ago or 12 years ago when I first went into teaching, but I'm quite a calm individual. I think the people around me, the people in my, my department would say that I am a calm and composed individual. Um, I don't seek out opportunities to be uh, front and center. He says quite ironically, doing doing this today with you guys. Um, but, but, um, but I think I get immense satisfaction from the achievement of others and knowing that I was a small part of that. And, and I think that lends itself to that, that sort of servant, servant leadership um, mindset. So there's some key words there, Phil, I've, I've picked up and I've just made a note of them. Empathy, calm, composed. Is, is that how... Is that, are those your core values then that you that drive you and that's about you being authentic? And would others describe you as that then? Well, I'd hope so. I'd hope they describe me as it. You would have to ask. You would have to ask the people that I that I work <laughs> with. I display those on a regular basis. But yeah, I mean, um, empathy is a really important thing. Um, and I think again, it's something that most teachers have without actually having to explicitly think about it. We, we are empathetic people um, because we have to be, because, because our clients, our, you know, our pupils need that in, in, in the people that support them through, through what is a, a, a huge part of their lives. Um, there's, I, I, remember, I, I remember being at school and having a maths teacher and, and she, was, she probably isn't around anymore, bless her. So I can probably say this without worrying about upsetting her. Um, but empathy was not part of her, her, her genetic makeup whatsoever. Um, and I remember being petrified of, of maths. Now, maths was not my strongest suit at the best of time. It still isn't now. Um, luckily, my, wife, uh, my wife's subject area is maths. So whenever I need to do anything with spreadsheets, then, uh, then I refer back to her. But... Um, yeah, I remember being absolutely petrified of making mistakes in, in, in maths uh, and knowing that I was going to make mistakes. I think that was the thing is like, as children, you know, you're not perfect, like you're not stupid. The ch children are not stupid and they know they're going to make mistakes. And, and there really is no worse environment to be in as a as a as, as anybody, adult or child, uh, than knowing that you're going to make a mistake and knowing that you're not going to get any empathy from from the people that are supposed to support you. And um, working in a really tough, all boys comprehensive school in, in a pretty rough part of, of Southeast England um, made me realize that these kids, you know, these boys, these, these supposedly macho, um, quite often male, the only male in the household individuals needed support, needed empathy, needed to be understood, needed to be listened to, needed somebody to put their, put you know their their um, uh, their, their arm around them and say you, know, it, you will be all right, and it doesn't matter, 
you know, this test result doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, and we were, we were, as a school, really good at that, really, really good at that. And, and I think probably coming from a very hard-nosed sales environment, I needed that experience to really realise how important empathy was. So empathy, definitely. Consistency. I think if you're asking me what are my absolute, absolute like, core principles, I think consistency is really important. You can be consistently average, but as long as you're consistent, everybody around you knows that's what's coming. I think if you if you jump around from from uh, emotion to emotion, if you jump around from idea to idea, um, if you are hugely democratic one day and then totally authoritative the next, that's very hard to work with. And I've had, I, I've worked with people like that, you know, but both within education and outside of education. I've, I've worked with people that, um, you know, you, it, you could possibly say emotionally unstable. Um, I don't necessarily think it's that. I just think it's a personality that doesn't necessarily have uh, consistency. And that's very hard to, to you know, where, what, how is this person going to react to this today? Is it going to be totally different to what it was yesterday? If I can be consistent, uh, then my, my, my department can learn to expect a certain response. Um, and so they can plan for that and they can anticipate that. And I think that makes a much, uh, much better working environment. So I would say consistency is, is, is another one. And then also reflective. Uh, and again, this is something I think that I've, I've developed as I've got older, you know, and, 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 and I, I do, I'm 42 now. I, I see myself as quite an old, uh, an old head, especially within PE. Now, when I when I went into PE teaching, I said to Emma, the one thing that I cannot do, I cannot be a 65 year old PE teacher that can't run <laughs> around anymore. And I'm starting to feel like I'm getting getting that way. <laughs> I have no no massive desire to get out of PE anytime soon. So I think I'm going to end up as that that 65 year old <laughs> PE teacher. But um, but uh, yeah, where was I going with that? Um, yeah, that that um, that ability to, um, to yeah uh, just be really consistent. I think is the most is the most important thing to me at the moment. Um, just 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 allow people to know who you are. Allow people yeah. to know what buttons they can push, what buttons they they really don't want to push, so that they can plan around that. And so you've taken this model of servant leadership into into the worldwide PE community really now, haven't you? You've been doing some work on what PE teachers would like to have in their PE lessons and what they see as their non-negotiables within the subject area. Do you want to share some of the findings that you've had from that? I understand it was over 700 PE teachers worldwide that responded. Yeah, so to give you some background, we took the opportunity, like lots of PE departments have, to um, to pause during during COVID nineteen and, and and lockdowns and distance learning to really pause and reflect on what we did well, what whether our curriculum, our PE curriculum, our extracurricular provision um, had evolved since the school the school had opened eight years ago, um, whether it was still meeting the needs of our pupil uh, our pupil cohort. You know, as with most schools, as with your schools, guys. We're quite a transient community. People come and go, pupils come and go, different types of pupils come. Now, a new hospital will open in Alain and all of a sudden we'll get a completely different group of pupils from a different part of the world coming to join us. 
Um, and, a, and a curriculum needs to evolve. And, and, and arguably our curriculum was very good. Um, certainly we get very few complaints about the PE and sports provision within our school, but, but we just reflected that possibly this was an opportunity to look at it again. And um, we really have a desire to build a more holistic program. Um, our, our program was quite traditional, British independent school. Uh, and we think that, I think my, the people around me in my department who are all exceptional PE teachers, um, we sort of came to the conclusion that we, uh, we wanted a more holistic approach uh, for the next few years in our, in our program. Um, and we started off trying to do a bit of research. So we did a huge amount of reading um, I'm still doing a huge amount of reading on it now, but then we, we decided to look at what our, our non-negotiables would be. What are the things that fundamentally drive what we believe PE should be? Um, and we talked about it. We came with, we, we had some interesting discussions, um, not ne never getting heated, but often quite um, uh, vibrant discussions about, about what we really believe PE, PE in 2021 should, should look like. Um, and then I decided to sort of widen that out and canvas uh, opinion from outside of our school. And I never really considered that it was going to become quite as big as it did. Um, I just posted on, I posted a link to a Google form on Twitter um, and, and it sort of got shared about amongst the PE community. And, and yeah, by the, end of the, by the end of the six weeks that I left it open for, 701 uh, PE teachers replied to it, which was extraordinary. Um, and I was very humbled by that. That people actually bothered to to give up a couple of minutes of their time um, some of the comments we gave an opportunity for comments some of the comments were brilliant um, about how it difficult it was uh, to reflect on what are the things that really drive people as PE teachers so it was really interesting and and the results I'd like to say the results were um, were unexpected but actually you know what the more I look at them, the more I think you would expect these results from modern holistic PE teachers uh, today. So out of the 701 responses, so the question was, uh, out of this big long list, come uh, pick the five key non-negotiables that you believe uh, every PE programme should have in it. Uh, 500 out of the 700 said happiness and enjoyment was the most important thing for a PE program, which I just think is the most lovely re result. I, th I just think if you were gonna sit down with a blank sheet of paper and decide what every pupil in your school is going to come away from PE with, most of us would put happiness, enjoyment, fun, at the top of that list and so because and to have so many PE teachers affirming that I think was just uh, even if if that would be the only result from this I'd have gone away happy I think it was it, it was great um uh, fundamental movement is really that's a really interesting one so 430 nearly 440 people said some form of fundamental movement skills provision which I think is really positive and I think uh moving forward uh in 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 PE as a subject area, I think more and more, I'm seeing it, I'm fairly sure that you will have had, in fact, I know you did last week have a, a podcast, um, which probably talked about fundamental movement skills. It's such a key part of, of what I think we believe PE should be uh, in this day and age. Um, so you would expect that to be quite high. 
um, social development, collaborative skills was really high, self-confidence, so building self-confidence in, in, in our pupils, which again, in a very challenging world, you know, these, these pupils of ours are going to grow up in a world with some really difficult challenges ahead of them, partly due to all of us, um, partly due to um, technology, partly due to the nature of, of things like social media and, and being confident in yourself as a, as a human being is a really important thing. And PE is so well placed to, to, to provide that, that opportunity. You know, there are other subjects that can do that as well, but PE, if it's delivered in a really positive way, can build a child's self-confidence like, like nothing else. And so I think the fact that, let's go on, Alan, sorry. I just, just initially, there says there's nothing there about winning. There's nothing there about being an elite athlete. It's nope. all about values and development. Yeah, so Is let's go to the, so if you go if you go to the other end of the list. So sports science theory came came at the very bottom, which for me is actually a little bit disappointing because I, my passion is for uh, academic uh, theory PE. I love it. I absolutely love teaching. If you gave me a year seven class or a year 11 or a year 13 class, I would pick the year 13 class every day. I love that link between school and university. Um, and, and I love the kind of discussion you can have with a, in a theory PE lesson. It, it, it really drives me, it, it's a passion of mine. So the fact that that was the lowest possible one, um, perhaps, I think it's really interesting. Perhaps, I, would I put it on as one of my five? Maybe not, but, but I think it is still really important. But then you get to competitive sport, physical, uh, you know, significant amounts of sport, uh, sports rules, all these kind of things that are to do with actually being good at a game, being, you know, being better than the next person at whatever sport it is that you're providing. And I think that's, that's very telling. Um, and actually, what was quite interesting is the most, um, the, the most vehement comments that I got. So when people wrote a comment, um, the most passionate ones were for people that had put one of those things and really really believed that competitive sport still has a fundamental place in PE um, which is in, in a way is, is you know if you have that that sort of um, level of conviction then that's absolutely fine and we all we all know that there's still a huge uh, success story around um, school sport and, and school sport still has a really important place in the UK, in schools in the UK, whether that's comps or academies or independent schools, it's still fundamentally important to what schools offer. But whether it has a place in PE or not is a different conversation. And, and, and I think what a lot of the PE teachers that reply to this have done is they've looked specifically at PE and they've tried not to look at sport. And that's, for me, really interesting because that's what we've done with our curriculum. We've stripped out sport and we've made sure that what we're delivering is, is physical education, physical literacy and a holistic uh, education programme. And then we've separated sport and we offer sport in a different way. And that's allowed us to offer a whole range of other opportunities to, for success. Um, to pupils who traditionally didn't necessarily feel they were achieving in a much more traditional sporting uh, curriculum. I'm really interested in the alignment between 
the research data that you've collected in terms of people's opinions of what are non-negotiable in comparison to what the current practice in the schools that they're working in is. Um, do you feel there's a disconnect at the moment between where people see PE and where people see the future of PE compared to what's actually happening in real life? Because what you've just alluded to there, just to add a bit of context to that question, was that people want fundamental movement, collaborative work, overcoming challenges, happiness and enjoyment. And actually the sport-related stuff and the theory-related stuff is quite low. If, if you go into a, a, a random collection of, of, of schools around the world to look at PE, and we're talking in British curriculum schools, my inkling, my, my thought would be you would still see a hell of a lot of sport-related programs uh, or sport-related content in lessons. You would see a hell of a lot of theory work, whether it be BTEC Nationals or GCSE work or A-level or IB Sports Science. Do you feel that we're not aligning those yet? And do you think there's, there's work to do there? Uh, yeah, you're going to get me stared up here now. Um, so one of the things, so it was when Alan introduced me, he said that I have quite strong opinions on PE, and I do, and they're evolving all the time. Um, and um, yeah, one of the things that really uh, uh, has really become apparent through this process and also through my engagement with PE teachers on, on platforms like Twitter and, and LinkedIn and, and Facebook, and one of our biggest problems as a, as a global subject area is nobody can decide what our subject is. Um, nobody can tell you what PE is globally. Like maths is maths. You might teach maths in a different way, but fundamentally maths is maths. Physics is physics. It's, it's, it's you know, linked to those laws that govern everything around us. And so regardless of how you approach it, and, and of course, you know, different teachers, different teaching styles. Uh, you know, some people would say learning styles, which just makes my skin crawl. Um, but you, know, you never want teachers to lose that, that ability to be creative, to be unique, to design programs that meet the needs of their specific pupils. But unless, unless we as a community can decide together collaboratively what is PE in 2021 or in, in you know, the, the 21st century, um, then we're just all offering our own version of it. And, and I see this, I see this, we're in a very lucky position in international schools because we have a transient community. We see pupils coming into our schools from other schools, from other parts of the world all the time. And likewise, we send pupils to other parts of the world all the time. And it's so obvious that they're coming, people that come into my school have had PE in a completely different way. And, and, and their perception of what PE is is fundamentally different to what ours is. And then they'll move on to another school and they'll have to make that transition again. And whilst you can deliver PE in different ways, if we can't agree what PE is, then we are always going to be treated as a subject that doesn't take itself seriously. And we've all experienced that. We've all experienced the, you know, the, the comments, the, the, the discussion about, well, you know, isn't PE just going and kicking a football round on a field? And in some schools, yes, it is. But in the vast majority of schools nowadays, where they have PE teachers like the likes of us, like the three and a half thousand PE teachers that I've, I've got on my, my Twitter account, you know, we're far, far more uh, scientists, educationists, um, 
reflective practitioners than we're given credit for. And I think, I think if we could come to a, uh, a convergence in terms of what are the really important things that we should be imparting on, on pupils globally in our subject area, then I think we would make far more progress on, on our, our place within a educational program. So, and some, go on, so, sorry. So, math, so maths is maths, physics is physics, biology is biology, physical education, traditionally sport. Uh, traditionally, traditionally. Physic, physic, physical education is physical activity. Physical education is, is, is about uh, physical literacy, isn't it? Or it's, it's about understanding what your body can do in different situations and how you can use your body in a variety of different contexts. Um, it's, and, and when I say body, that's head, hands, heart, isn't it? That's, that's all of your body, including, including your brain. So when we talk about things like leadership, when we talk about things like uh, social development, collaborative skills, uh, these, are, these are things we still do with our bodies. We just happen to use one particular part of it. And there's no better uh, place for you to problem solve practice problem solving to practice leadership than in a physical environment and, and and we have such a such a fantastic opportunity within PE to to really deliver those holistic fundamental human skills that these children are going to need to solve like I said really big problems that they're going to inherit uh, when they when they get to adulthood now Lewis I know where you're going <laughs> completely and i don't disagree with you i don't disagree and it would be it would be hypocritical of me to say now yeah our program is not sport specific uh because a huge amount of what we deliver is best delivered through a sporting environment but it doesn't necessarily need to mean that you have to look at a child's physical ability in that sport you know and and if, if our objective is to see success in all pupils, there is a huge percentage of pupils for whom particular sports are always going to not provide that platform. And so if we can offer a different way of seeing success in pupils and perhaps look for different types of success in pupils, then I think we're providing a much more rounded uh, holistic opportunity where Tommy might be fantastic at badminton and it can show you all of these fantastic uh, skills practically, but Sarah might not. And yet Sarah has, every, has a fantastic understanding of uh, uh, how to get the best out of what, she, what she's capable of. And so she can problem solve. Now she knows that she's not going to get to this other part of the court. She's, she's problem solved that, and so she's positioned herself differently. Now, there are all these things that potentially we lose in how good is your forehand smash? How good is your free kick? How good are you at passing off of both hands in rugby? And perhaps what we don't look at is for those people that struggle with that, where else are they being successful? And if we can find, we can find success in every pupil, then we are providing a program that's going to build self-confidence and self-confidence was so high on this list that we all, a huge amount of us believe that that's important. So let's build a PE program that really looks for that and really identifies that and rewards that. I think just, just the last 
the last couple of minutes of, of listening to you answer there, you, you're clearly very passionate about what you're talking about, as, as, as three of us are around PE and sport. You talked about head, heart and hands and physical literacy and PE being an exploration of that physical literacy. And, and you questioned, and you used the language of if our objective was to build self-confidence. Is that where the problem is, that we don't really understand what our objective is in PE collectively, globally? We know that within maths, a maths teacher's role is to give children the opportunity to develop their maths, to develop their maths and their confidence within maths, and to do that through a series of different topics. You used a physics example, which you could apply the same to. And I'm sure that there are parities of PE where maybe it's a little bit more opaque or it's a little bit more... Um, a little bit more of a debate as to exactly what we're pinning down on but is the problem that we're not clear is the problem that actually we don't we don't know what our subject is and we need to spend more time really honing down on what we need or the, the phrase physical, physical education to mean or do we just stick with the traditions of actually well we deliver sport so let's just call it sport and it's curriculum and that's what it is it's curriculum sport you look at you look at gcse's GCSE PE, you could argue, is GCSE sport with some sport science in there. Some of the A-level syllabuses are very, very similar in terms of do they look at how you develop self-confidence in sport? Do they look at how you develop physical literacy? Or are they looking at sport science and the, the role of sport within the world, within schools? What, what needs to be the first question that we ask as a group of professionals? What's the first thing that we do to stay in our lane as PE teachers? and say, well, this is what we're about. This is what we need to be doing. It's really interesting, isn't it? And, and, and there, is, there is no, no well, one-line answer to this because everybody, and everybody has different opinions and it really does ignite passions in people. And, and you only have to spend a bit of time on um, uh, PE Twitter to see this, like it's so passionate and you have people that are firmly entrenched in their, um, in, in their, with their standpoint on this. And, and there are some schools um, doing amazing work uh, where they have completely stripped out anything that looks like sport in, from their PE programs. And that is one absolute extreme, isn't it? That's a, they've made up, they've made up activities with no, direct link to a traditional sport um, and and you know schools introducing gamification where where they you know they're, they're the activities they're doing are, are based on computer games they're not based on traditional sports anymore I, I saw a school the other day doing call of duty with bean bags and hoops and all sorts of things and you know it's it's a bit of a bit of a wild concept but actually from their point of view within their curriculum it's, it, 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 it works. And, and I think context is really important because what we're talking about, uh, if you're talking about stripping out PE from sport, what you're doing in a funny kind of way is becoming actually much more traditional. If you think back to, or if you look at uh, independent schools in the UK over the years, and there are some uh, amazing examples of, of this happening really, really well. Um, and um, but they have games curriculums and PE curriculums. And all right, their PE curriculums may well still be focused around things like health rate fitness and fitness testing and um, terrible things that, that, that sort of make me squirm like um, powerlifting uh, or you know, weightlifting, taking your year eights into the gym and beasting them for an hour. And I'm sure all of those things still go on, but actually they have a PE curriculum 
that isn't based around teaching sport and then they have a games curriculum that is and actually that's sort of the direction that, that we've gone in so we still have a games curriculum um, and they will still have time when they we, we teach them how to play touch rugby or cricket this term um, but we have a PE curriculum and, and our job as PE teachers is fundamentally to use that PE curriculum to look for a whole load of things that are physical, mental, and, and, and uh, kind of social, collaborative, leadership, all these, all these things. And that does not need to be done through, PE, through sport. That can be done through any number of different ways, uh, through any number of activities that may look like a sport. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, if the absolute best way for you to... to um, identify, let's say, uh, collaboration is through playing a team sport. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Now, does that team sport have to be a traditional sport? It doesn't have to be, it could be Call of Duty. But if you, but if you put the pupils into that type of environment and you know what you're looking for, then that's, that's what your curriculum is. It's not the sports, it's Sorry. the... So, so we're going back to head, heart and hands with different vehicles that explore physical literacy. So we, we, we're coming back really full circle to what you've mentioned earlier and that really the vehicle of what you're choosing maybe doesn't necessarily matter quite as much than the content that you have in there and the objectives and the, the real things that you're trying to develop. Yeah, so what we did, talking about our curriculum development, is we started with what we wanted to, what we wanted to see. What were we looking for the pupils to show us? Um, and from that, we then developed levels of success uh, so that we could see success in every pupil. And we worked backwards from there. So we, we built our assessment program. We wrote our key, um, our key indicators. We came up with 12 identifiers um, that that's what we're going to look for. And then we realized, we decided that our curriculum, whatever it looks like, needs to provide opportunities for our pupils to show us these 12 things. And they're things, you know, they're things like uh, uh, leadership skills. They're things like uh, decision making, creativity, coordination, fine motor skills, uh, confidence, resilience. And then we just went looking for well, what are the best activities for us to offer in order for us to be able to showcase those things, to see those things happening. And, and so some of the activities are what you would see as traditional games. Um, and some of them are weird and wacky things that, you know, we've literally come up with from scratch, but we know that that is going to show us pupils doing this. And that's what we want to see because then we can build a profile of each individual pupil against our, our key indicators and, and start to learn about them as a, as a well-rounded individual. And we're gonna to get to the point, so my, the, the long-term end goal is we're gonna build heat maps for each pupil in our school with these 12 points. And then the data will allow us to show the pupil and show their parents and show anybody else that, that needs to see it. What does that pupil look like? Yeah. And, 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 and that's really powerful because that allows us to then tailor their experience to suit them. So if they are a very traditionally sporty kid, and we have lots of those here, um, you know, then they're going to shine in sports teams. They're going to shine when we do play sports. We're going to see that. 
And three out of our 12 key indicators are very obviously practical ability-based. So we haven't scrapped that entirely. But what, what we want is we want to see what the pupils are good at if they do struggle with some of those practical skills. Now, but in the environment we're in, uh, we have a lot of pupils that are not necessarily as fit as they could be. Um, and you could argue that part of our responsibility is to move them towards a position where they are fitter, but that's a different conversation. We'd have to do a whole other podcast on that. But <laughs> if they're not, if they're not you know, uh, supremely physical fit, they're going to struggle with certain aspects of a traditional PE curriculum. That does not mean that they can't be successful. It just means that we have to look for slightly different things in order to showcase that success. And that's, that's, where we, that's what we're trying to do. And this whole process through from the initial conversations through to the, the um, reaching out to other PE teachers to the vast amounts of research that we've done on different pedagogy around PE, um, about what can, we, what can we adopt from other curriculum areas that will support this, um, the kind of conversations that I have with people like yourselves has all led to this belief and it's just a belief and I'm quite happy to be proved wrong or be told that I'm wrong and people do it all the time and, 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 and that's fine. Um, but for our particular school at this particular time, we believe this is going to provide something much more than just what we were offering previously, which was, well, come on, we're all going to go out and play hockey today. Yeah. I, I think you, if you just summarise that, Phil, it's... Contact, context drives the narrative, doesn't it, completely in, in all our situations. And there's no one model or approach that fits all. It might be that we'll never agree on, on what PE stands for across the world. And you know what? Is that, is that a bad thing? I don't, that could be thrown out there. I think diversity is good in some ways. And mm. if we look at it almost like one of them Dubai 10-lane highways where there's so much going on, and it's then just finding what the best is for you and your school, and your country. And I bring that back to your experiences, Phil, where you've been a salesman, you've applied transferable skills from sales and done it effectively into teaching. Now, should we, as teachers, be providing an opportunity for kids to learn transferable skills, whatever you want to call them, human skills, essential skills, soft skills? Is that not the driving force of what we're trying to do? to help kids have these skills to go and do any job they want, just like you've just done. Yeah, completely. No, it utterly is. It doesn't matter what you call them. So we have terms that we use. You will have terms that you use for these things. Um, and what is it, coming back to the idea of leadership as well, your schools will have ideas about what these things are. You know, you have mission statements, you have vision statements. We have pillars of progress here. Um, and it's all the same terminology. It's, 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 ingrained in what schools are these days isn't it is is, yeah. is the these this wider wider picture of what what we have to provide to people pe is so well placed so well placed today and and there's so many really well-trained pe teachers you only have to look at, at senior leadership teams globally to see that pe teachers are uh, how well respected we are as educators because there's always a pe teacher on a senior leadership team um, I think the, the, the clarity of what you've got there, Phil, is really coming out in terms of exploring physical literacy with head, hands and heart. You're talking about your essential skills and the different transferable skills within there. But you've gone that step further and created a 12 point system where there's clarity on what the children are being. I want to say measured. I, I don't mean measured. I think I mean monitored and tracked and assessed on. 
Um, I, I would imagine this is a, a, a literally a measuring process every lesson, of course. But you've got 12 points there that are reference points for teachers to just be aware of in terms of these are the areas we're going towards, which I in turn imagine then helps you to drive towards that vision that you have for, for PE in your school. And it sounds really, really positive. It'll be really interesting to see how that journey goes. I know you're in the infancy of, of developing it. Is this something that, that the staff in your in your team are aware of now and that they're, they're getting um, a little bit more confident with? Is it something that you, you just started this year? Yeah, well, we're, we're quite a way down the... Uh, we're actually currently running it um, as uh, this term um, with a view to not ironing out any issues before next term. And issues always come around things like assessment and data and spreadsheets. And it's not about delivering. You know, it, the delivery... Actually, what's, what's quite interesting is... Um, uh, the, the delivery mechanisms have not actually changed as much as I thought they might. And the, the approach that teachers, individual teachers take has not changed as much as I thought they might. Um, and, and actually the creativity in planning has not changed as much as, as I expected. But what has changed is what, what PE teachers are looking for and what they're identifying. And, and all of a sudden we're having conversations about pupils that we potentially weren't having previously because we've spotted things because now we're looking for them. Um, it will be really interesting. I mean, it could be an absolute disaster, couldn't it? It, it feels, on, on bad days, when I'm looking at this giant spreadsheet um, with all of these key indicators for each year group, and it's, it's absolutely enormous, and it, it, it has the potential to be a huge headache. <laughs> but then lots of things in schools have the potential to be a huge headache. And it's about us, it's about people, you know, leaders within schools, um, making sure it's not. And when you come back to that idea of servant leadership, I, I, I have a vision, my team have a vision, we've all bought into that vision. My responsibility is to make sure that that vision doesn't become a burden and that they are able to be outstanding. So, so we all know where we want to get to, we all know what we're gonna to have to do to get there. Um, but I need to make sure that that doesn't become too onerous on them. And that's, that's my leadership role within all, within all of this. I'll have to come back in a year's time and tell you how it went and whether or not. Now, and it's, it's about legacy. It's about legacy, and um, in all of the schools that I've worked in, I've always wanted to leave things, in my opinion, better than than when I picked them up. And don't get me wrong, you know, the the, the work that Brighton College here have done up to this point has been outstanding, and, and a lot of credit needs to go to my predecessor. Um, who I took over from three years ago, because uh, you know a lot of this was 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 there, and, you know, and it's just needed to be adapted. Um, but I want this to be something that sits within this school, you know, within this community for the next ten years, um, as this community develops and as as the UAE develops. I want this to be something that that lasts and 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 in a positive way. Um, and if that means that I need to drive it with my vision um, and kind of bring people along with it, then then so be it. But but I need to make sure that that doesn't happen to the detriment of people's well-being and, um, and, and, and all of those things that are equally as important in schools. Yeah, I think that leads us really nicely into our quick-fire questions to finish, Phil. Okay, um, go for it. Give us your, your three top leaders that you'd love to, to go out and have a meal with. They can be dead or alive, but give us a little indication who you'd love to have that chat with. Okay, um, oh, uh, so I would like to, uh, I'd really love to have spent some time with Kurt, Kurt Han. Yeah. Um, I think some, he's very divisive, 
and 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 there will be people that will watch this this that think no absolutely not no you know that's his yeah he was for all the wonderful things that he brought to education he was not always the most upstart upstanding human being if i'm honest but but i think you know things like round square things like uwc some of the principles that have permeated into education subconsciously i guess um i'd love to have been able to talk to him about about his his opinions on education today um uh, nelson mandela nelson mandela when you talk about servant leadership um you know no, that man gave his life for others you know gave his uh, his his whole um his whole person uh was about serving serving other people uh, regardless of what that meant for him um, and this, you know, this, the amazing story that, that, that he's got to tell. Um, so I, yeah, I'd love to have, I'd love to have met him. Um, and then from a kind of, I was trying to think about a sporting person and I think Martin Johnson, I think Martin Johnson, the way that he took, uh, as much as Clive Woodward was, 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 was a big part of it as well. Martin Johnson took that rug, took that England rugby team, picked it up and carried it on his shoulders, um, and that ability to lead a group of you know, huge personalities, I think that, that, that's exceptional. I'd love to have loved to know more about, about how he did that. Brilliant. Lewis, to finish. Yeah, last one, Phil. If you were to uh, hire a billboard and you were able to write something on it for, for all passers-by to see, what would be written on your billboard? Oh, that's a, that's a question. Um, uh, okay, so there'd be two things, it, it, very educational based. Okay, so so I want I'd want teachers to be reading my billboard. Um, there are two things that leaders have said to me in the past that really will stay with me forever. Um, the first one is wear the wear the soles off your shoes. Um, you know, don't sit behind a desk. Get out amongst the people. Get out with get out with your team. Um, you know, just be be present, be in the moment, be be in be in the present, and, and lead lead people. Um, and the other one is um, somebody once said to me, "We're building houses, not brick walls." And I think were we the last twenty minutes conversation about about you know transferable skills, holistic profiles. You know, children are not brick walls. We don't just put a series of bricks together. You know, there are they're, they're houses. They have all sorts of different parts to them, and we need to identify. All of those different parts. So yeah, we're building we're building houses, not brick walls. Top man, Phil. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Really appreciate your time. We wish you all the all the best for this project. Where where can listeners uh, read a little bit more about what you're doing and the and the work that you're uh, you're completing at the moment? Uh, so um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Phil Mathe seventy nine. Same same Twitter account. Um, yeah, come and debate. I, I enjoy a good debate. Um, uh, on, on Twitter, um, and I, I, I promise I'll be positive. Um, and if anybody, yeah, if, if anybody wants to see a bit more about it, just it, just get in touch with me. You can drop me an email. You can find me find me via my LinkedIn account. Just yeah, come and have a chat. Top man, Phil. Thanks a lot for your time, uh, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. 
thank you for listening to Sensemakers, brought to you by the Infinite Learners podcast and backed by Tsunami, the number one ego kit provider for school worldwide. You can learn more about Tsunami by, by visiting tsunami-sport.com. And if you want to hear more from the Infinite Learners, you can find us on your favourite podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you.